right, folks. Welcome in to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. And I am excited to debut what's kind of a new look, I would say, at least a little bit different, uh, trying to uh, change things up a little bit and and, then rebrand, I think, a little bit better over the course of these next couple of months in preparation for the upcoming season. Uh, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. We're brought to you, of course, by Superbook Sports. You can see their logo right over there. You can also see my horrible sunburn. Uh, that's always great as well. <laughs> really appreciate it. Uh, thank you, everybody. What's up, Cedric? What's up, uh, Bubba? What's up, everybody? Uh, Abel, thank you so much. Uh, Cedric says, I like the new setup. I appreciate that, Cedric. Thank you so much. Doing what I can to at least like change things up. I kind of like having a rundown. I think that seems like a good idea. Uh, over here, like you've got the main topic for today, which is going to be best duos in the NBA. Then you've got coming up uh, the next things, and that will be uh, talked about in just a little bit here. But should be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to uh, just seeing how this evolves. I- I'll probably still change a whole bunch of stuff for sure. So going to be great. I am looking forward to it. Um, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Let's now discuss. Um, oh, yeah. Slap some aloe on that. Dude, I was I was out in uh, like you guys. You guys are going to be you're going to laugh. Like I was out for like an hour and a half, two hours for a meeting. Uh, at Mile High Sports Act, we, we met outside uh, Black Rock, and it, it's unbelievable. I never go outside, can you tell? Like, that's just uh, it's disgusting. So I need to uh, – I definitely am going to need to bring some sunscreen on my trip, uh, which starts tomorrow. So just as a point of note, uh, I will not be doing a podcast on Friday. This will be the last podcast of the week. If there's any Nuggets news that comes out over the weekend, sorry. Uh, you're going to have to go to somewhere else. Hopefully, uh, we can get somebody over at MHS or Denver Stiffs to just write something in place. But I don't expect anything major to happen, especially major for me to have to talk about as a Denver Nuggets writer. So hopefully, there's nothing crazy. Uh, but for now, let's get into the main topic for today. Not sure how we're going to mostly gear these uh main topic uh, podcast, but I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to do that for the first segment and then do a second segment, which features other stuff. And maybe there's a third segment going forward. You never know. Uh, But for right now, let's focus on our main topic, which I have is the top 10 duos in the NBA today. I wanted to do this because I think that it's important to, uh, it's, it's a, let me, let me rephrase Nothing's like super important. Like when it like it's all about winning. It's all about the formula for how you build your team. Like it could be one player that's spectacular. It could be three players that are spectacular. It could be an entire starting lineup. But I think so much about the NBA right now. It's not as much a big three league as it is a dynamic duo kind of league. Ever since the Durant, Harden, Kyrie experiment, really blew up in everybody's face. And ever since the CBA has just been signed, there's only one team that I can really point to that says, yeah, you have to uh, have a big three. And that's the Suns. That's Booker, that's Durant, and that's Bradley Beal, who is a clear third on that hierarchy, but has 
averaged 30 points per game in his career. I think that dynamic duos are pretty much here to stay. I think you can point to a lot of the recent champions to really uh, look at that. I think that three of the dynamic duos will show up on this list that have actually four in the last uh, four years of winning the championship. And then the others uh, was broken up over the course of uh, that was the Toronto duo of uh, and I, that one is, wasn't even really a duo. That was Kawhi Leonard and then a great starting lineup around him. So I think it's interesting to think about. There have been a lot of dynamic duos over the course of these past couple of years. Uh, you could point to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and LeBron James and Anthony Davis as I think the jumping off point for that discussion where big threes have sort of turned into big twos and then good lineups around them. Okay, now we're back. All right, dynamic duos. Let's stop with the lead up and let's just get into the duo itself. Um, honorable mentions, Paul George and Kawhi have not made my top 10. You cannot play the limited number of games that they have and expect to make the top 10. Like, they haven't had a lot of success together. A lot of that has been affected, I think, by um, injury, obviously, but part of the actual value of being a duo is that you're out there at the same time, on the floor at the same time. And by the end of the playoffs this last year, they weren't out there. Uh, they struggled last year and they like, lost Kawhi at the end of the previous year. So there's, it's just, it hasn't been good for the Clippers duo. Donovan Mitchell and Evan Mobley, I think you could point to the Cleveland Cavaliers and pretty much any combination of their top four guys, whether it's Garland, Mitchell, Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, I think you could point to any of those four and wonder who the dynamic duo is. I went with Mitchell and Mobley here, but you kind of have to interact a little bit. And, and if I have questions about who the dynamic duo is, then that's a problem. Zion and Ingram, kind of same as Paul George and Kawhi, like you have not played together, so that is a problem. And then Brunson and Randall, I just didn't think were as dynamic enough to be on this list. Um, that is a important part of this, is that you just have to be dynamic. And they've won one playoff series, so not really uh, too moved by them. But when I think of dynamic duos and the actual like level of... Uh, expectations that I have for making this kind of list. You have to have some team success. You have to be great as individuals, but I think almost as importantly, you have to boost each other as a collective pair and be able to work with each other. So there is a duo on this list that is individually talented, but does not work well together. And because of that, they are lower on this list of dynamic duos because they're not as dynamic. Like they are uh, two players. Like they're a dynamic uh, tandem, I guess, but like they're not actually together. So number 10 on this list is Jaron Jackson and John Morant of the Memphis Grizzlies. They should be higher on this list. I think that Ja getting injured over the course of these last uh, two of the last three playoffs, actually all, th no, is it three? No, it's just two, like the last two playoffs. That's hurt him. Uh, Jaron Jackson was injured the prior year, so they haven't really had a full run together uh, where you can actually point to it. I know that Jod played in this last series against the Lakers, but he immediately came down on that wrist and just wasn't good after that. 
and that's a problem. So I think that with Ja being out for the next 25 games, that's going to be something to see. I'm, I'm curious to see how Jaron Jackson plays during that time, but this is a duo that I can see rising. They're both still super young, and there's no doubt in my mind that they could be better than this if they if they wanted to be going forward. But I am I, I kind of like the idea of Ja being the offensive guy, Jaron being the defensive guy, but them both having skills uh, that can really pair with each other and the, them being able to run, pick, and roll together. I think that really helps. It just simplifies everything. So interesting to see there. Number nine, De'Aaron Fox and Tomata Sabonis of the Sacramento Kings. This is a tandem that I didn't know if I would put on there, but when they played the way that they did this year and you see how they interact with each other, you see how the team interacts with each of, with each of those guys. They're, they each have copious value. Like that there's a ton of value for each of those guys. Um, I like that both of them can operate as the fulcrum. De'Aaron Fox, whether he's just running straight up pick and roll or DeMontis Sabonis if he's running the handoff game, both of those guys being able to do that and operate at a high level I think is a really, really important piece. And you pair them both together when they're on the floor at the same time and their offense is basically unstoppable. Uh, Now, it did become stopped in the playoffs and I think that that is a growth moments as much as it is a like a defining characteristic for them. But I'm curious to see how they follow that up because they they're kind of like Jokic and Murray in some ways. Um just the way that those two operate together, the way that they can operate apart. Uh, I'm not sure if either of them can reach the ceiling that Jokic and Murray like actually have, but there is there is a stylistic comp there for sure. And I wouldn't like I don't know. I would not uh, put it past it. Number eight, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown of the Boston Celtics, which I think is surprising for a lot of people. Um, Biggest problem with these two is, as I mentioned previously, kind of like Paul George and Kawhi, they don't really operate together. They are very much independent of each other. And that's fine if you're if you're both holding up your ends of the bargain. And for this year against the Miami Heat, Jalen Brown did not hold up his end of the bargain. I think last year he did. Last year he was actually really good all the way through the playoffs and into the final. I, I, I mean, the 2021-22, the year they went to the finals. Jason Tatum didn't hold up his end of the bargain at that point. And the good thing about being a tandem, especially like this, is that you guys can pick each other up for sure. And there's something to be said for that. But I can also look at some of these other tandems that have played, say, okay, they've had success at a higher level, whether it's individually or as a group. Uh, Some of them have won championships. Some of them have also gone to the finals. Like it's not, I think, crazy to put Tatum and Brown at this level. I think a lot of people would be tempted to put them way higher than this. But I also think that there's a reason why Jalen Brown has not been signed to a Supermax contract yet. It's because... The Boston Celtics don't know if they want to commit to that or they know that they don't want to commit to a certain number and Jalen Brown is not happy about that. So there's reasons to argue against them as a tandem. That that I will say, they're very duplicative of each other. They don't really serve different purposes on a team. And I think that they kind of get in each other's way at various points or like you just kind of go your turn, my turn with the offense. And then as talented as you can be, there is a certain ceiling to that. So I'm very curious to see what they end up doing, uh, whether they 
whether Jalen Brown gets traded, whether he gets signed and then they run it back. Maybe this looks foolish, but I think that it's fair to have them at this point based off of what they've accomplished so far. Number seven, people will be surprised by this, especially with the playoffs. Joel Embiid and James Harden. I think that part of this is regular season. Part of this is playoffs. I think that Embiid and Harden specifically, they're penalized more so than any other duo based off of what happens in the playoffs. However, when you think about regular season duos, there are very few duos you want over those two. Just because, like, I mean, Embiid was the league MVP this last year. Whether it was a pity MVP or not, that doesn't matter. Harden was very valuable himself. Like, Embiid had a case to be the most valuable player in the league. And Harden, with his skill set, with his ability to really set the table for the rest of the team, that helped them get wins. And as long as those guys were healthy and available, they were able to really carry a, a heavy burden. And that, to me, is a, a big part of being a duo in the league today, is can you carry your team, especially when the other stuff isn't working? Now, this is kind of a, a bold proclamation because Harden, if he does get traded, like I don't know what it's going to look like. Maybe he becomes part of a big three with uh, the Clippers, and that's Harden, Kawhi, and Paul George. Does Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey, do they have a place on this kind of list? Probably not. Uh, but I do think that there is at least a legitimate argument that both Embiid and Harden uh, deserve to be on a list like this, especially with the way that they interact with each other. Uh, they are running a lot of pick and roll together, and that's just kind of their their bread and butter play as a team. So not really a surprise. They can each isolate and do things be, by themselves, uh, but they can also operate together. And I do think that that's it's certainly valuable. But uh, the reason that they're not any higher than this on the list is because of the playoff success. And I think that's fair. Number six, Steph Curry and Draymond Green. Uh, this is an interesting one, especially with where they are after this last year. Almost feels like justification to have to have them over a tandem like Brown and, Brown and Tatum or Embiid and Harden. It is interesting to think about, but they are just a year removed from winning a championship. And they were fantastic during that entire run. And Steph was fantastic in the playoffs this last year. I, he just he was really, really good. And they ran into a better team against the Lakers. And they were like the Warriors were cl clearly tired. There was clearly a lot of chemistry stuff. And that does factor into something like this. I don't want to just immediately dismiss it because Draymond did kind of hurt his team with how he operated in that preseason and how he interacted with the young guys. And I think that that ruined their, their group. But what I will say is that Curry kind of makes up for a lot of that, and that's what a duo is supposed to do. And if you let Draymond be Draymond, he's still a really, really, really good player. Uh, I would still have him in a top 50 list. I'd have Steph Curry as the third best player in the league. And the way that they interact together, I think that that is a massive boon to their value. So now could Curry be on this list with somebody else? Like, Could he and Sabonis be on this list together and be higher than Draymond? Yeah, probably. I uh, could Steph and I don't know Jokic like be way higher. Obviously, what about Bam? Absolutely. Uh, but I do think that the way that he and Draymond operate, the way that they've done it over the course of many years, I think it's fair to at least say like give give them the benefit of the doubt in that kind of scenario. So uh, really interesting to think about. But I do think that Steph and Dre they probably deserve at least a little bit of credit for uh, where they're at. 
Number five, Giannis and Drew Holiday. Um, obviously didn't end the way that they were hoping to in the playoffs this year. Uh, not a failure. Not a failure. It's just steps to success. Um, but I just wanted to uh, make sure that everybody knows that like, look, this is, this is still a really, really dynamic duo, especially on the defensive end. I do think that they are both slowing down defensively. I think that Giannis, there's only so much that he can do on that end of the floor. And Drew Holiday, I mean, he's already, I think, 34. So there, there are certainly levels to this and levels to what he can actually accomplish. But it is going to be interesting to see how uh, they age this year because the actual things that they've done, the Bucks have done to bolster their roster, not super encouraging. They brought back Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez. Those are going to be important pieces. But are they the best pieces to maximize what this team is going to be for a championship run? Maybe. Does it change anything going into next year? Maybe if Chris Middleton is healthier. Uh, but he's probably still not the level of player that they really need to kind of space the floor around those two. So I'm very curious to see what it looks like. And in the end, if you're putting all of it on Giannis and Drew, then you're at the mercy of their own individual weaknesses. And Giannis can do so much on the offensive end, but he's not a shooter. He can create so much off the dribble. But if Drew Holiday is also kind of kind of be your dribble creator, then like if you want to have those guys operate together and have Giannis roll into space in the pick and roll, Drew Holiday's got to be a good decision maker. And he's like, honestly, he's closer to Dylan Brooks when it comes to his shot selection than he is to um, Steph Curry. So it's going to be interesting to see how they evolve. I'm, I'm very curious to see how they bounce back. Um, kind of like Steph and Dre, I think I have a little bit more faith in Giannis and Drew just because they've accomplished it as well. And then Giannis is still in the prime of his career. So I'm very curious. I'm, I think it's going to be very interesting to see. Number four, Jimmy Butler and Bam. Uh, Nuggets just saw these guys. Like they, they deserve a lot of credit for where they got to. I don't think that they had as high of a uh, reputation before the season as what they finished with after. Now, that's what happens when you're an eight seed. That's what happens when uh, you don't necessarily take the regular season as seriously as you as you probably should. Uh, but who's to say that they that they actually need to take it that seriously? Because uh, clearly they, they have accomplished what they needed to accomplish to NBA finals over the last four years three conference finals over the last four years. That is some serious success. And even though it hasn't ended in a championship, like you can point to Jimmy and Bam as the two that have deserved the most credit for it. Jimmy with what he's done on the offensive end, Bam with what he's done on the defensive end. Jimmy's also a great defender. Bam is also a a good offensive player. Uh, But it is interesting to see how those guys interact with each other. There's a lot of pick and roll. There's a lot of actions that they play together. And as a result, with the way that they interact with each other, that does matter in some of these discussions for sure. So I elevate them over Giannis and Drew. I elevate them over Steph and Draymond. I think it's fair. I think that they've earned the benefit of the doubt based off of everything that they have done over the course of uh, these past couple, these past few years. Uh, Thomas Dunn says, Surprised that Drew over Chris, uh, considering everyone associates Milwaukee with Middleton. Yeah, I think that where like Middleton's just fallen off so much, man, that like it's hard to put him on this level anymore. Drew is consistently like he got the the All Star nod this year. 
Uh, he, I think, has been the consistently better player over the course of these last couple of years. And Middleton had a great 2021. But ever since then, I just I, I feel pretty uh, – it feels pretty weak to say that he, he should be in the duo conversation, despite the fact that he's got the contract for it, despite the fact that for a while he had that profile. I think that Drew has, has sort of taken over the reins there, at least for now. Uh, maybe he takes it back. Maybe him getting healthier helps him take that back. But we'll see. Um, let's go to three. Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. Both of these guys are top ten players. Both of these guys are dynamic individual talents. They kind of fall into the category of a Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. But I also think of these guys as better individual talents than either Tatum or Brown, but especially Brown. Um, if I did a top 10 list, and I, I have I have done one, I did one for Pickaxe and Roll Weekends with Swipe Edition, uh, I had Kevin Durant and Devin Booker over Jason Tatum. And so when you have that kind of factored in, I think it's fair to say Devin Booker's been to an NBA Finals. Kevin Durant's obviously had his amazing amount of success. I do think that he has... Uh, regressed at least a little bit in terms of what he can really do physically, but that's just Devin Booker having to step up, and like I don't think that that changes anything about what they are and and what they do together. I think that KD should probably be screening for Devin Booker a little bit more going forward, and whether that means you get switches on the block, whether that means you kind of just run pick and pops and can space the floor for Booker a little bit more. I really do think that that's the direction that they should be going. And they probably will because Durant's, I think, 35 now. So it's probably about that time to really start seeding the reins over to the younger guy. And I think Devin Booker's ready for it, if I'm being honest. The way that he played in the playoffs this last year, he was dynamic. He was great. He was fearful. Like, I think Nuggets fans were fearful of Devin Booker by the end of game four. He ran out of gas in games five and six because of the like he sustained a minor injury during that, and I think that really sapped him a lot. But um, I do have a lot of respect for the levels that they can reach, and I have a feeling that if they didn't face Denver and if they faced every other team in the West, then they would still prevail, except for maybe this next duo: LeBron James and Anthony Davis of the Los Angeles Lakers. I am. Very curious. Uh, look, I've, I've I've talked a lot of crap about the Lakers. I think that that's pretty evident based if you if you follow if you followed my podcast at all. Um, I've talked a lot of crap about the Lakers and deservedly so. But the numbers are the numbers. The facts are the facts. They have now two conference finals in the last four years. They have an NBA championship. They lost to the NBA champions this year. Um, so I think they have really showed that. And the good thing about them, as opposed to some of these other duos, is they operate together a lot. It's a lot of LeBron James, Anthony Davis pick and roll. And when you have that as kind of your your backbone for your duo, it makes a lot of sense. LeBron sets the table for Anthony Davis and for others. Anthony Davis picks up the pieces defensively for a lot of these guys, including LeBron uh, they are versatile. They are skilled. They are, I think, very dynamic and dominant. So I think they they make up a lot of what you'd want in a dynamic duo. And before the Western Conference Finals, I might have picked them 
ahead of Jokic and Murray. Just the way that those guys have played over the course of these last few years, they haven't played together a ton. I think it's been affected by Russell Westbrook. But in the non-Russell Westbrook minutes, it's been pretty good. It's been pretty good for the most part. So it's kind of interesting to to think about. So I think they deserve a lot of credit. But now let's go to the top one, Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. This is what everybody's been waiting for. You win a championship. You operate as Denver has operated. I think it's pretty evident that they deserve to be at the top of this list. It's not perfect. Nobody's ever going to say that it's perfect. But I think what they've showed individually and together has been enough to put them in the, the top of this this particular list. Like, so much of what people have talked about with Denver is just Jokic, 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 Jokic. And deservedly so. Like, he has been unbelievable. And there's one MVPs, and a lot of that was without Murray. So I think that there's at least a reasonable uh, belief that Murray is propped up by Jokic. But I think that we've seen in the playoffs, and I think what we've seen over the course of these last few years, is that Murray does make life easier for Jokic in a lot of ways, especially when Murray takes some pressure off of him as a scorer, because it allows Jokic to facilitate, it allows him to be the best version of himself. Think of how many times during these playoffs, yes, Jokic averaged 30 points per game. Yes, he did. But think of how many times he could also kind of survey at various points and make sure to get others going because Murray was getting it going on the offensive end. And then a lot of what Jokic would then do is really set the table for the rest of the team, really uh, set the table for Murray, just have him keep going. That was he, he loved that nothing more than to simply set the table for the rest of his teammates. And he ultimately scored and he did what he had to do. And both of these guys did what they had to do defensively. So... I think that there's a lot there, and I think what we've seen from Murray in his playoffs is that he rises to a different a different level than what he is in the regular season, and that matters more than regular season success, obviously. A part of me wants to put this duo lower because Murray sometimes is not the same level of player in the regular season, but I also don't want to penalize him for, like, especially this last year during the regular season where he's recovering from a torn ACL, so... I think he deserves all the credit in the world. The, the Nuggets as a duo, uh, this, this Nuggets duo definitely does. And I, I don't think you have anybody else up there. Like it just, it makes too much sense. And I am glad that they are on the Nuggets because it makes everything super, super simple. Uh, we'll see whether Murray continues to grow. I don't know what Jokic could do better, if I'm being honest, like 30, 13, and 7 or whatever he averaged during the playoffs. That's going to be pretty hard to top. Uh, but we will see what he ultimately does and whether he has something else in store. Should be good. All right. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss, uh, as you can see in the rundown, the running back of the NBA. And I'm going to explain that in a little bit, as well as uh, a brief touch on the FIBA World Cup. Should be good. But first, everybody this podcast doesn't know it's brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook, which you can see on screen. Help your bets stay hot this summer at Superbook Sports, the most trusted name in sports gambling in Las Vegas. They have a direct line to Las Vegas, and you can use that promo code MILEHIGH to score up to $250 with your first bet bonus. Win or lose, Superbook will match your first bet up to $250 with the promo code MILEHIGH. All you got to do 
is download the Superbook Sports app, use that promo code, and you'll get 250 bucks courtesy of Superbook Sports. This is Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Loving the new layout. Think this is valuable. Think it's going to be very, very good. Uh, we are just going to have to see, though. Uh, we'll, uh, let me know down in the comments if you like it or if you think I should go back to the old color scheme. Uh, but I kind of like it. It also you know, it's the Superbook stuff, which we have been partnered with them for a while, so not necessarily hating on it. Um, I think that uh, you should leave a like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. That would help us out greatly. Uh, but beyond that, let's get back into everything. I want to talk about the center position a little bit because I was talking with my guys um, at Mile High Sports, and my boss, Nate Lundy, actually brought up the idea. Um, the center position, or not the center position, he was just talking about the running back of the NFL. And all of the discussion that has popped up there about like overvaluing, undervaluing, what is the actual value of a running back? Why are teams kind of going away from that? And it got me thinking, just kind of comparing it to the NBA. And it really is very easy to see where the comparison is. It's the center position. Like, think about the top running backs in the NFL. And I know I've, I'm, I'm bear with me on the audience, folks, because I think that some of my audience understands the NFL. Some of it is uh, foreign and abroad, and you're probably wondering, why am I here? Uh, but bear with me. There are a couple of top running backs in the NFL right now. Jonathan Taylor is one of them. He had a down year this last year, but the year before that, he was great. Uh, Saquon Barkley coming off of a torn ACL this last year was really, really good. Uh, or maybe it was the year before they had the torn ACL. But either way, he had injury problems and... Uh, is is now like he had a, a great year this last year and deserves a lot of credit for that. And now they, all these guys are in contract situations, contract disputes, and they are getting franchise tagged, which is like a one year guarantee that you're going to be on the on the roster. And a lot of these guys aren't going to show up to training camp because they aren't being paid fairly. They aren't being paid equitably for what they believe they deserve. And they're, they're receiving these small guarantees because running back as a position is just not as valued in the NFL anymore because it's a passer's league. Uh, you can, like, I think a lot of people can credit Mike Shanahan for being the coach, uh, former Denver Broncos head coach, that really made this a problem in the NFL. And I could talk about that a lot. I, I don't think... Um, I don't think people want to hear the details of that on the pickaxe and roll pod, but what I do want to compare it to is the center in the NBA, because especially with Nikola Jokic in tow and with Joel Embiid being as great as he is, I think that it's fair to compare the center position in the NBA to running back in the NFL, because you can have these transcendent talents. There's no doubt about that. Christian McCaffrey, uh, who I have mentioned this all the time, but I played with him when I was uh, at Valor. He's great. He's fantastic. He knew that he was going to be great. He knew he was going to be different. 
and he's kind of trans transcended a lot of stuff, but he also gets hurt occasionally and like kind of like a Joel Embiid, not quite at the MVP level all the time, but when you let him go, when you when he gets healthy, he is dynamic. Jokic is your Adrian Peterson. Uh, hopefully he doesn't get injured in, in that way, but like your Barry Sanders, your Adrian Peterson, your top tier all time running back, and a dime a dozen in terms of how often those guys really come around. If you don't have one of those top guys, and the rest of the NFL is kind of figuring this out now, then there's no reason to have a highly paid running back. You can spend that money elsewhere. You can get 85% of the contributions and uh, for like 40% of the cost, basically. And that those are just numbers I pulled out, but I do think that it's a pretty simple export and a pretty simple transition to the center position in the NBA. If you don't have a Jokic, if you don't have an Embiid, what are you doing? What are you doing at the NBA level? I think it's interesting that Jokic did just win a title. Embiid has not been able to get past the second round. Um, so you might be seeing this, actually. If you don't have a Jokic who is just different than that, then it might be a little bit difficult to make up the balance, to make up the difference at other positions. And I think that a team like the Sixers, when they had to run as much ISO as they did through Embiid, it's very interesting to see that he's probably like a an overwhelmed running back that's seeing eight in the box all the time, and he can't deal with it, unlike a, a Jokic who can just kind of like make it all work no matter what kind of coverage he sees. Um, but you look at the guys like DeMontis Sabonis and Bam Adebayo, Bam has as much positional flexibility and versatility for a center as possible. He is like 6'9". He is as versatile as possible. He is on, honestly probably as similar to a Christian McCaffrey as you want uh, with a with the ability to go out and run routes and, and play different positions and switch up the coverages and do everything that you need him to do. That's a very good comp, I think. Um, but what I will say is that like Bam, when he runs into Jokic, it's a little bit different, but that's just more of a historical thing. Against every other center, Bam is fine. There's no problem with that matchup. Um, so it is kind of interesting to think about, and I do want to uh, really push forward this notion that with Draymond revolutionizing the way that NBA coverages are run, small, switchable, Sean Marion also said this on a podcast recently, or maybe it was a podcast, maybe it was something else, uh, that it's going to be, it's just going to be very interesting to see how the six foot seven, two hundred and thirty pound guys like evolve in the NBA. Because I still think you want those guys at the three or the four, but a lot of teams are using them at the five. And they used Sean Marion at the five back in the day for the uh, the Suns at various points and the the Dallas Mavericks at various points. Uh, you could say with Draymond, who is undersized at even the four, but. I think makes up for it with his with his strength, with his toughness and his IQ, and also having like an over seven foot wingspan. You have some freaks out there, um, in a good way. But I, it's just going to be interesting to see whether because we just saw Demonte Sabonis really struggle with Draymond Green and Kevon Looney, like really really struggle with them. He could not score efficiently. He could not be effective. And Demonte Sabonis, I think, was third team All NBA center, if I'm not mistaken. So. There's a problem there. I think there's a disparate problem there where if you're third best center in the league who all NBA caliber, I would probably have him as closer to like 30th best player in the NBA or so. 
if that guy is struggling against your small ball options, then that's a problem. I think that Embiid really rose above that, but there's enough here that I would be concerned if I was a team that didn't have Jokic. <laughs> Even Embiid. Like, Embiid has, has risen above that, but he's also injury prone, and I think he provides some other concerns, some team-building concerns. So you have to really finagle stuff around him in order to make it work. Uh, but other teams, like I don't think that they can have their center be their best player. Victor Wembanyama will be very interesting to see. He's kind of a, at least a little bit unique, a little bit different. He can move to the four. I think they're going to try him at the four initially. Um, Jaron Jackson kind of like this too with the Memphis Grizzlies. It's one of the reasons why I have more belief in the Grizzlies because they can play him at the four or the five, slide him along to different positions, and he's got some uh, he's got some good positional versatility there. Same thing with Bam, but maybe not necessarily the most like super versatile, although might not be a bad idea for the Miami Heat to have another guy with size, even if it's a, a six foot eight dude. But I do think that that's something to at least monitor going forward. Center is going to be very, very hard to fill in the NBA. It's one of the reasons why Christian Wood doesn't have a contract. It's one of the reasons why Andre Drummond got squeezed out of $20 million deals. And he's now making veteran minimum, basically. Um, there's a lot of guys that you could point to that are on cheap, cheap contracts because a backup center isn't worth as much as a good backup forward. That guy could slide to center in a pinch if need be most of the time because if they are 6'7 or 6'8, they're probably okay against most centers because centers have now had to downsize and they've had to shift and they've had to evolve. And the center position is evolving in the NBA. And I think it's fair to compare it to the running back. That's a that is an interesting point, and I, I keep saying it because I think it's true, but uh, going to be interesting to see how that evolves, whether Jokic is more of the exception to the rule or if he is actually the rule going forward and teams are able to still run their offense through a guy like that, even if he's not the most positionally versatile. All right, let's wrap up our discussion today with some talk about the FIBA World Cup. Denver's got some different guys that are playing for different teams. Serbia is obviously very associated with the Nuggets, but I have heard conflicting reports. I, I've, I haven't seen anything definitive from a roster from Serbia and official word from Serbia as to whether Jokic is going to play in the World Cup or not. I sort of, like, based off of what I'm reading, I doubt that he is. Uh, it seems like he's exhausted. It seems like playing into June and then asking him to then recover and play in the World Cup in August and September is probably a bad idea. Although other guys are doing it, and it looks like Jamal Murray is doing it for Team Canada. He's at least on that initial roster, and he's going to be there with Shea just alexander and um, Dwight or Kelly Olynyk and R.J. Barrett and guys like that. I think Lou Dort is on that team. Canadian team is pretty good, and I think – if you can have that dynamic duo, speaking of the duos, of Jamal Murray and Shea Gilchrist-Alexander, then there's enough there that as long as they're running good pick and roll, as long as they're spacing the floor reasonably well, maybe running some sets for each other, uh, that could be a really tough out for a lot of teams if they're looking to try to advance in, in some of these different rounds. So 
group play is, is going to be interesting. I'm, I'm pretty sure that Canada's in group A and Serbia's in group B, if I'm not mistaken. But So they're not going to face each other immediately. But it'll be very, very interesting uh, to see what Canada does because I, I obviously want to see Jamal do well. Obviously, want to see, like this is the first time that he's participated in international activities since I think the U18, U17 uh, event that he was in and, and did really well against Team USA. Just back in like 2014, 2015 or so. So he's uh, it's been a while, been a while for him, and he he uh, he performed well in that event. But um, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does in international competition. Um, now whether Jokic does actually play for Serbia, we're just gonna have to see. Injuries, and, and this is a common sentiment for sure from Ryan here. Um, I don't want Jamal or Jokic to play the World Cup. So afraid of injuries. I get it. I get it. It is a very, very overwhelming physical toll. And it's not something that we can really quantify. But I do think that Jamal kind of had his perspective changed based off of this injury, based off of his torn ACL. There's only so few opportunities that you get to do things like this. There's only so few times that you can actually play for your international team. Uh, once upon a time, Jamal was 19 years old entering the NBA, and he was like, yeah, it's fine. I'm good. I'm, I'm totally okay. Got plenty of time. And then he tore his ACL when he was, I think, 24 and only got to play again when he was 25, 20, like late 25, going on 26. So it's a long time. It's a long time to have to wait, and like, you just never know what your career is going to look like. So these guys want to support their countries. If they want to represent well, then I've got no problem with it, especially just tracking Jokic, tracking Serbia, what it means to the international teams and, and to their fans. Jokic and Murray have been have so much belonged to the Nuggets fan base. They've belonged to the Nuggets organization for a long time. But you can't claim them entirely because they did have roots. And they, they with where they came from, you want to give them an opportunity to uh, celebrate those roots a little bit. And, what better way to celebrate your roots than to play an international competition and maybe defeat Team USA? I think that would be really, really cool. And uh, and I'm hoping that Jabal and Joker both do it, honestly. Like, I'm okay if Joker does it. I'm okay if he does it and decides, yeah, you know, I'm going to sit out the first 10 games or so. Or I'm just going to like rest as much as I possibly can over the first 10 games. Because Denver can carry him during that time. They can carry Jamal. There's no doubt in my mind that they have enough talent, enough togetherness. Uh, you know that Michael Porter's waiting to take more shots. Like Denver, Denver will be fun. Denver's going to be okay, even if those guys take some time, even if they need a little bit of extra recovery time. And the great thing about bringing back basically your entire team outside of Bruce Brown and Jeff Green is that what do they have to learn the playbook for? Like they are the playbook. They are, I mean, everybody else kind of has to learn around them, but that's the rookies. That's the guys that probably aren't going to play a ton. Reggie will get some good opportunities in training camp. Like they're going to have, there's going to be plenty of opportunity there. And so give them an opportunity to play for the World Cup teams. There's no doubt in my mind that they should, uh, as long as they're physically capable to do so, as long as they're physically healthy. And I hope that they are. I hope the Joker's capable of playing, wants to play. I'd be a little bit surprised if he didn't. I know that this is this matters to him. He wants to be a part of it. So we will see if he ultimately is a part of it. I saw reports that he wasn't going to play, but I don't know if that's actually confirmed. So 
until we see the rosters, uh, we'll, we'll find out. But we did see the Canadian roster, and it looks pretty good. So hopefully Jamal has a good opportunity there. Slovenia, I know that Luca and Vlaco will play together. Those, those guys are obviously going to, like, they are very connected, and I think they care about each other a lot. They care about the national team a lot, and Luca's never had a problem with it. And I think it would be very, very cool to see Vlaco continue to play. It would be good experience for Vlaco, I think, uh, as it has been in previous years. He's done this several years in a row now, and Slovenia is always a pretty good team in these tournaments, and Luka is really the leader of that. But Vlaco also plays better in international play than he does in the regular NBA. So hopefully he gets to show out, and maybe it's a good prop for him to continue to improve and get ready for a consistent role at the NBA level because the Nuggets are going to count on him without Jeff. Like That's that's just going to be a part of things. So I know that people want Hunter Tyson to play. They, be, they want Pey- Peyton Watson to play, but it just wouldn't surprise me if Flacco is the guy that they are relying on, especially with that second unit where you're going to need some creation. You're going to need some ability to uh, share and move the basketball a little bit, just get everything moving and have an adult in the room. Flacco's been on the roster since 2019, so he's he's very connected. Should be should be good. But yeah, I think that that's going to be basically it. Team USA is going to be good. Uh, they've got a lot of like Mikhail Bridges is on that team with Jalen Brunson and uh, Josh Hart, if I'm not mistaken, I think is on that team. So uh, they've got some interesting role players. Uh, they've got some higher level guys as well. I know that Jalen Brunson is going to be a guy. Tyrese Halliburton is going to be a guy. I don't think that Devin Booker's on that team. I think he's taking a break. But uh, there's a lot of young, interesting pieces. So I'm hopeful that the USA has a good showing, but you best believe that if they run up against Serbia, Canada, or Slovenia, I'll be rooting for those teams because if you're a Nuggets fan, you want to see your guys succeed. And until a Nuggets guy gets onto the USA team, whether it's Aaron Gordon or uh, Michael Porter Jr. or, I don't know, Christian Brown, like if, if he was to continue to grow. Maybe Peyton Watson. like That would be interesting experience for Peyton Watson if he was to grow into that level. Uh, but... I'm very curious. Until until those guys get a nugget, then I am okay supporting the Nuggets. Like there's there's no nationalist pride that that gets in the way of that for me. So hopefully Nuggets fans feel the same. But I understand if you're uh, if you're hoping a different way. Uh, Cedric says KCP maybe that actually makes some sense too. I could I could see him being a nice good veteran for that team. Surprised he wasn't involved in this one. Like that would, that makes a lot of sense. Two time NBA champion, Kentavious Caldwell Pope. Like that seems. Seems like a good fit, but who knows? Maybe he didn't want to do it. Maybe he was like, I'm in Fiji. I'm good. But either way, um, I think everybody, that is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll. Um, I hope you like the new layout. I hope you like the new format that we've got going on here. Um, I like it. I think it looks good. We'll try to do something like this going forward. I think this makes a lot of sense to do. Uh, just kind of in this general frame. I, I like the panel on on the outside of the screen. I think that like this this portion over here, I like this. And I want to continue to have something like that. So hopefully everybody enjoys. Hopefully everybody likes. Again, I will be out on Friday, so don't expect a podcast from me on that day. But uh, I hope everybody enjoys. Uh, but for me, it's going to be a long weekend. I will be up in a cabin, hopefully disconnected. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I appreciate all the love and support on the podcast. As always, 
We'll talk to you guys next week. you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done.